Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It takes a pandemic. Okay, you fill in the rest. For instance, it takes a pandemic for me to finally clean up my desk. It takes a pandemic to start reading that pile of New Yorkers. Uh, it takes a pandemic for me to finally learn to bake. Well, for audiences of live performance, it takes a pandemic to cherish our actors and musicians. With our great jazz venues and theaters closed, live performance has stopped. But actors and musicians continue to create. They have to. It's who they are. For this Hunker Down podcast, I talk with these artists who perform for a living about how social distancing is affecting their work now and when this is all over. About their dedication to the art of live performance. This will be my second visit with the renowned poet of the Puerto Rican diaspora, Martin Espada, and with his partner and wife, Lauren Schmidt, who is a poet, writer, teacher, and worker in the fields of the socially oppressed. Rebecca McCain and Chris Brandt and I, Alan Winson, spoke with Lauren and Martin on Bar Crawl Radio in episode number 88. For this Hunker Down podcast, we found the couple cozy together in their home in Shutesbury, Massachusetts, with their tiny Pomeranian named Fenrir, after the giant wolf that ate Norse gods, and you can hear Fenrir panting in the background. We spoke about their lives in the wilds with bears and gigantic sinkholes, and they shared their concerns and worries and hopes about our pandemic times. Martin read a soon-to-be-published poem from his book, Floaters, It's a love poem to his wife, and it's a poem that resonates with much broader ideas of freedom and bravery and positive opposition to entrenched power. Lauren read a poem of oneness filled with palpable imagery by Marge Piercy called The Art of a Blessed Day. I'm going to lean over so that Becky and I can both be in the camera here, and I'm sorry we can't see Chris's lovely face. How are you doing there with your Pomeranian? What 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 what's her what's her name? Oh, that's Fenrir. Fenrir. Ah, Fenrir. Fenrir. Yeah. Oh, that's from your Norse mythology. Fenrir was uh, uh, an enormous uh, wolf. wolf. He ate Opie. <laughs> he ate Opie. Who? Oh, he didn't eat Opie. Oh, he ate Odin. He ate God. Oh, 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 oh. oh. All right. Well, lately, Opie's been our god because he's the only thing we can watch lately. Uh, and not cry. And not cry. We watch Opie on uh, the Andy... Uh, Andy Griffith show. Andy Griffith show. I call it the Opie show. So tell us, how, how are you two doing? What are you... Uh, how are you hunkered down? Are you at home all the time? And where are you? Uh, we are in Shutesbury, Massachusetts, uh, which is in Franklin County. Uh, that is rural. In fact, some people consider it to be part of the Bermuda Triangle. Um, <laughs> of the COVID-19. All the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time. Basically, we have more bears than people. We have something called mud season when the oh. dirt road gets closed down. Becky knows about mud season. Yeah. Well, we're learning all about mud season. I grew up in the projects of East New York. This is about as far from that as humanly possible. So, yeah, we have uh, we have bears and uh, we have mud season. And then yeah. after mud season, do you have the fly season? Well, we go right no. to ticks. ticks. Oh, ticks. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. and, and how are, how are your personal relationships with the bear coming, Martine? Uh, avoidance. <laughs> That's the most important principle. Social, social distancing. Once, and he stole our uh, garbage can um, and he brought it into the woods where I had to go retrieve it. The whole can? But that, but that was it. Yeah. It was about, I don't know, wow. like 100 yards from the house. I had to go get it. That sounds pretty damn scary. Wow. Well, it's not as scary as the sinkholes. 
Oh my gosh. From the mud. Sinkholes? Yeah. <laughs> They're really bad here because a lot of roads aren't paved in Shutesbury, including ours. And yeah. cars just get lost for days. They had to shut our road down last spring around this time for that reason. You'd think it'd be snow, but yeah. no. So, 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 so the earth just opens up at some point. Yes. Wow. And the car disappears. It goes down to hell. Yeah, no, it's it's a very old testament. <laughs> Sounds like it. So we so if to, not to lose our Pomeranian. Yeah. It's a good thing. Oh, wow. I, I have I have so many questions to ask about the, 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 the holes and the mosquitoes or the ticks and the it's bears. Good. Have you seen a bear? Uh we have uh what happens is once a bear appears on, on our street, oh. uh instantly there there's this app, uh it's called the Next Door app. And people start photographing the bear and then you see the bear getting closer and closer Um, there was a bear right across from us uh, who uh, took one of those uh, orange metal composting uh, uh, composting, uh, cans and ripped it in half Jeez! Uh, and uh, the uh, the guy who lives across the way from us only escaped because he heard what he called a heavy breathing sound coming up oh. behind him. Um, so, you know, five minutes later, you're getting that, and you know, you know, you should probably stay inside. And these are black bears? Yes, yeah. these are black bears. These are the nice bears. Right, yeah, yes. You know, we're not talking, you know, Kodiak bears or grizzly bears. Grizzly, yeah. so, we so- had a fox walking up the driveway the other day. I was on a Zoom call for work, and I saw a beautiful fox. Nice. Wow. So, so you're not coming back to Brooklyn anytime soon because we don't have bears here, you know. No, no, we have other, other, other dangers. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there certainly are other dangers. Little itsy bitsy tiny bacteria. And and Chris, how, how are you doing? Because you're you're in a more civilized place, where we, uh, where we have other dangers. This, you call this civilized? To yeah, stay I know. Indoor. This is solitary confinement. Except I do have a roommate. Yeah, good. My granddaughter. So. Well, say, okay. say hi to Jody, Jody for us. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you guys have some company with each other. She's she's back from college, at least until at least this semester. So uh, just uh, logistics. Do you have food brought in? Do you uh, go for walks? Do you? We get delivery here. So. Yeah, no, we don't get delivery here. And so the other alternative is to shoot something. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't shoot something, then you, you know, then the younger person in the marriage is clearly the designated <laughs> go out into the world for the groceries and the pharmaceuticals, uh, where I remain here. Uh, I've been self quarantined for more than a month. And um, I, I last did a reading in public on the 11th of March wow. uh, for a community college in Brockton, where they shut down within minutes, I think, after the reading. Wow. And um, sure enough, uh, some time later, uh, there was an employee at that college who tested positive. Wow. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been here ever since. I'm, I'm in, as you can tell from the beard, I am... Uh, akin to Methuselah in age. Um, and uh, I've, I've had my, uh, ironically, because I, uh, I've been a poet out in the world for so many years, um, I am now one of those people at risk. Because, you know, if you're on the road, uh, what's happening is you're picking up every, every disease known to humankind and a few you invented yourself. So, you know, without fail, every year I'd go out, I'd do reading after reading after reading, and I'd come back with bronchitis and pneumonia uh, every year. And one reading I remember in particular, I um, uh, ended up doing a reading in Houston with a partially collapsed lung. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, you know, what that means now is that, you know, I'm, I'm like a, you know, scarred, uh, old tree that could be pushed over by a good gust of wind. Um, and thus, I stay here um, with the bears and the sinkholes. Lauren goes out to a far more dangerous place, civilization. Right. And she's the one who gets the groceries and the pharmaceuticals. She's very brave. 
um, our grim little joke is that she's the canary in the coal mine. Um, and but that's the basic alternative at this at this point. You know, she could tell you that. Yeah. We don't. It, the, any delivery to an area like this is we're just overwhelmed within days. There's just no way. It's just not an option. I mean, you're going to be waiting weeks for, for delivery. He may as well just, yeah. it's just not and, worth it. And that's not just, we're not talking about restaurants here. We're talking about, you know, your grocery stores or oh, supermarkets. Yeah. Restaurants don't even deliver here. No. three. It takes you three days to get your groceries. Yeah. Again, then you go back to the option of what do I shoot? <laughs> you, you don't really shoot, right? You don't really... No. Oh, that's a that's a joke. Okay, I, I thought it was. I just want to check. I I just I just rant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I oh, rail against an empty universe is what I do. Maybe I mean I I just wanted to uh, say that I've uh, of of a similar ancient age uh, have had to go out into the um, public because I just had a, a tooth problem, actually teeth problem, and I couldn't find a dentist. And, um, in, you know, in, in this great metropolis, there was no dentist. And I had to go all the way up Not to Harlem. Not close by, anyway. Yeah. To uh, up about three and a half miles away from here. More like Enwood. On, on the subway, which, you, which turns out to be somewhat crowded. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know. But, but, and again, you have a dentist. Yeah. We don't have that here. Well, don't, don't get any toothaches because... Uh, no, no, you can't get an electrician. You we, can't get we have a, a post office. Wow. Yeah. If your toilet, not for long, if, if, if Trump has his way, not for long. If your toilet overflows here, uh, you're not going to get a plumber. You're just going to have to wade through the excrement. <laughs> oh, gosh. You can rant against it. Thanks for the description, sir, poet. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, no, it's colorful. I wanted to uh, ask you uh, about your view on this moment as artists, as, as poets. Um, I, I assume that you two, whether Lauren is, I know you are getting into more um, writing kind of narrative. Uh, Martine, I, I know you're thinking everything through the lens of a, of a poet. And you're probably working now. Yes, you're writing. You're there. You're, you're doing work. Well, it depends on how you define work. The work you do. Well, my first response to this pandemic has been speechlessness, has been silence. You know, let's, let's uh, recall uh, another cataclysm, which uh, uh, was 9-11. And as you know, I wrote a poem about 9-11. I wrote Alavanza. I didn't write that a, a month after it happened. Right, yeah. Or two weeks after it happened. Yeah, that was more than six months later. Six, seven months, whatever it was. You have to get separated from the situation to be to look at it, don't you think, or do you? For me, speaking for myself, I need some, uh, some uh, distance in order to write well. Anybody can write in the moment and write badly. Right. You know, and I've been deluged already with any number of requests for poems that uh, everyone assumes I'm writing immediately in the moment. I, I am overwhelmed. I am stunned. I am speechless. You might not know it to listen to me now, <laughs> but when you think of poetry, which is a concentrated form of speech, it's, it's a con which, which requires a higher level of concentration. That's not there. I'm simply overwhelmed. I'm be the first to admit it. That doesn't mean I haven't been writing. I just haven't been writing about this. So what what are you writing about? Well, it so happens this uh, pandemic coincided with my uh, my book in production, which is called Floaters. Uh, it's forthcoming, perhaps optimistically, from W. W. Norton in uh, next January. So we were at the stage where uh, we were in copy editing and I was sent a copy edited manuscript, um, of course, electronically using uh, the device of track changes, uh, which is uh, now that I've learned it, uh, uh, very useful. I was fortunate uh, that the copy editor had a very 
light hand, very good copy editor. That's not always a given. There are copy editors who want to write their own books and you have to argue with them on every page. So this copy editor is very good. And in the process of copy editing, uh, which is most of the work I've been doing during this pandemic, I discovered one particular poem uh, where I had to absolutely tear the pipes out of an entire stanza. I had to rewrite the whole stanza. It just, there, no, we're talking about a six line stanza. I had to rewrite all six lines. And uh, in order to do that, I had to do it over and over again. So you might say during this pandemic, I have been writing. I have been writing the same six lines over and over. So I had them the way I wanted them, which, um, you know, is the way I sent it back. I sent the copy edited manuscript back a couple of days ago. But that those six lines obsessed me and I would write them and I'd read them to Lauren. This happens to be a poem about her. And she'd say, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds better than the last one. And then I'd say, oh, thank you. And then the next morning I'd, re I'd rewrite the whole thing again. Is this normal for you, Martine? Is this a normal process where you get, um, let's say, stuck? You're, you're getting the pipes lined up so, so that they work. Has this happened before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's not the moment. It's, it's your process. Uh, well, I think it's my process enhanced or augmented by the moment. I, I think I needed this. I think I, I needed to concentrate on those six lines and get them exactly the way I wanted them, as a, a poet friend of mine used to put it, in their least objectionable form. <laughs> um, and and that the, the, the presence of the pandemic and the sheltering only enhanced the urgency of that need. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I, 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 I do. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I started this hunkered down was because I wanted to have something to do. And I wanted to hear from people that I, you know, that I appreciate to hear from. And it gives me a chance to do that because you're not going anywhere and it's easy to get people now generally to kind of talk, talk about it. But it's um, more than that. You also wanted to have um, people on your show that could have an opportunity to, I, you've been talking to a lot of actors and singers. Yeah, singers right? and musicians and all creators, people yeah. who people are creating and people who are performers. And as you said yeah. before, in a sense, you are a performer. Uh, well, yeah, and what we have in common, you're talking about musicians or actors, what I have in common with those, uh, those artists, is that uh, all my gigs are canceled. Right. And so this is not simply a loss of income, although there was a considerable loss of income. There was one particular gig that had a great deal of meaning for me, which I lost. Hmm. Um, there's a poem uh, I wrote called Letter to My Father, uh, which appears in the new book, which has been out for a couple of years, originally came out in Poetry Magazine. And it's uh, about the uh, hurricane of Puerto Rico. It's about Hurricane Maria and the aftermath and the uh, more than 3,000 lives that uh, were lost in Puerto Rico due to the hurricane and the uh, gross negligence of the Trump administration. And parenthetically, uh, what happened in, in Puerto Rico this is just a dress rehearsal for what's happening right now in the United States. What Trump did in Puerto Rico uh, is what he's now doing uh, in the U.S. to everybody else. Um, so uh, I wrote this poem with a particular focus on my father's hometown in the mountains of Puerto Rico called Utuado. And I began to talk to my father uh, about what was happening there, reporting to him, you might say. The only problem being is that my father's been dead for quite some time. Um, in point of fact, I have his ashes in a box in my bookshelf. So I was talking to the ashes. And by the end of the poem, as it turned out, I made a promise to him that I would scatter his ashes one day in his hometown of Utuado. And then the opportunity presented itself because I was invited uh, to uh, speak at this uh, congreso, this literary uh, uh, conference in Puerto Rico. Um, in, uh, in March. And it, the place where I was going to be speaking was not that far from Utuado. 
So I got all the documentation that would be required to bring the ashes with me. It's a big deal to move human remains around. Hmm. Um, and then uh, I also uh, made arrangements with people on the other uh, side, uh, on the island, to help me do this. It was all set to go. I was going to keep my promise. Well, and then the Congress was canceled. Yeah. Yeah. Lost that. Mm. Um, so given that, you know, that, that was a very a deeply felt uh, an emotional loss, which will uh, went way beyond dollars and cents or the audience I would have had, or whatever it might be. And I'm feeling that very deeply. I'm, I'm feeling that loss, that disconnection um, from, from community in the broadest sense. And that, I suppose, brought me back to the poem. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's a poem that I wrote for Lauren. It's a love poem. Um, and and this is, she's the person that I'm quarantined with, the person who is responsible for my survival right now because she's the one who's feeding us who's going out and taking the 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 chances of infection and bringing back food and bringing back my medication not even hers take medication i do Mm -hmm. so it's not a coincidence that i was focusing on this poem can i get it exactly the way i want it and it's not a coincidence either that the stanza i was reworking reworking had to do with the situation even worse than the situation in which we find us ourselves right now uh, a situation in chile as a matter of fact i'll talk more about later when i actually read the poem oh you can read it for us that's great okay. thank you yeah thank well i'll read it whenever you like I- i'm so, conscious of the fact that lauren hasn't been heard from yet did you well i just wanted to ask before, before we talk to lauren did you finish those six lines you better believe it. <laughs> well, he's going to read it to us, so it's yeah. it's 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 going to be done. Lauren, how how is it being your husband's savior? It's hard work. <laughs> Very high maintenance. You don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> is he is he being good to you? He's always good to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He needs to be a little kinder to himself. That worries me a little bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a sense of where Mar- Martine is emotionally, but how are you feeling, Lauren? I'm fine. Um, I, I I'm looking at this in in the ways that I can, the positive ways that I can. My my job is about an hour from where we live, so I no longer have a two hour commute every day. Mm. So that's kind of nice. Um, and the position that I'm I'm in, I'm I'm supporting teachers and teaching teachers essentially how to teach, and I'm still able to make some good traction with them and the kinds of things that I'm teaching with them. Um, I'm finding a much better balance between work and life. Like I know many, many people are, that line is completely blurred. Um, For me, it's less so, which is weird. Um, Go downstairs on my little, my little laptop and I'm zooming with people and it has a finite end. I'm not taking anything home, so to speak, not working beyond the working hours and finding much more time to take care of myself and the house and him and the dog and, just do what needs to be done because it's too easy when you have a, you know, 55, 60 hour work week to be like, you know what? I'm not going to scrub the tub today. You know, right. It's true. Our tub is scrubbed all the time, you know? So it's those kinds of things. Um, it's not to say that it hasn't been challenging. It definitely has been. And something that Martine has left out is that we're in the process of closing on a house on Monday. Mm. Oh, wow. So this was set in the works in the end of was it February. Um, January. End of January. And, um, you know, the purchase and sale agreement we signed sometime in February. So um, the reason we had pushed the closing date to April 20th was because that was supposed to be my spring break, my school spring break. And um, we were going to sort of take our time and clean the house and get things kind of settled before we moved in. But that plan is gone. Um, We're still closing on Monday in very bizarre circumstances. (laughs) Um, We're actually having the, the, the lawyer the paralegal rather she's coming to our house and she's leaving stuff on our deck for us to sign at the table on our deck. And then she's going to look at it in her car and text us that it's okay. It's sort of a very bizarre thing. Um, and then we'll be moving into the house slowly over the next couple of months and we'll be in there by June. Um, and that's in the area where you are now. It's in the same County, but it's sort of the opposite end of the County. Um, so it's probably about 45 minutes from where we are. Um, Is it closer to your work? 
Uh, yes and no. Yeah, I did. So I'm quitting. I'm quitting. They don't know yet. Ichney. Ichney. Edit. Edit. Edit out. A. Okay. Got it. Got okay. Hear this from my school. Ah. Um. Yeah, I don't exclusive. know. I will start a new job in the fall, and that's seven minutes from the new house. So oh, it's oh be nice. that's great. Very and now nice. you have to make friends with the new bears and stuff. And is it as far? Is it in the um, country as well, or is it more uh, in a small? We're town in the or? middle of a very, very, very small town in Franklin County. I don't think there's a thousand people who live there, but um, we actually have sidewalks, and there's a little downtown with with shops oh, and that'd a, be nice. A nice coffee shop stores and all, all closed. Yeah, well, now. Well, well, now. now. Right. It'll open up. It right. should um, open, yeah. It'll be a, very different, be a very different situation. It's been, you know, kind of challenging, but we're, it's happening, so we're going to get there. Well, congratulations. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will. Uh, are you working at all, Lauren? Are you doing any writing? Yeah. My school hours are still 8 to 4, if you can believe it. Um, I can believe it. <laughs> yeah, Becky is still teaching, do, doing the I'm online thing online, now. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so, very um, hard work. I don't know. I think... My schedule is such that most of my meetings are very, very heavy in the first half of the week, and then Thursdays and Fridays are a little bit lighter. Um, so that again helps me find that balance a little bit. Right. Uh, well, I know you were working on uh, on the young uh, young people's writing. So is that going forward or not? No. <laughs> not, yeah. No, not not right now. Um, I suspect it will. I the bulk of the writing that I've done on that has only been in the summers. I like I have mm-hmm. six, eight weeks to myself and Got then I, I bang out a ton. Um, I've looked at things. I've revised things. Certainly I have sent things out to be considered for publication, you know, so in those ways I'm still working, but um, you know, in terms of producing new stuff, I think I've written three new chapters since the beginning of the school year. All right. Well, that sounds, so negligible, sounds good. Completely negligible. Um, but the summer, the summer is my time, and I, I know full well that I can make really good use of that time, so I'm looking forward to that. Well, we certainly could still be hunkered down through May, and who knows how much further that's going to be. Yeah, I, I know, Mar- Martine, you said you are processing this moment, and it's hard to say what that, what's going to come out at the other end six months from now. But I wonder, is there anything that you can say just in preview of when you look outside, does it look different? Um, is there any way that you could give a word to what's going on now that, that you're feeling uh, that may process or may not? Well, I mean, I have a lot to say. It's not necessarily poetic. Um, you know, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, um, by the name of Mazen Naus, uh, summed it up quite nicely. Mazen is a professor in the Department of English uh, at uh, UMass Amherst, along with me. Uh, he is from Lebanon, and he grew up in Beirut uh, during the Civil War mm. in Lebanon. Uh, so he has a certain perspective on this. And what he said to me at the beginning before anyone really uh, even understood the gravity of the situation was, uh, and I quote, the United States is about to be exposed for the third world nation it really is. Hmm. And those words have been borne out over and over and over again. Uh, What we have is uh, uh, a nation in the middle of staggering public health crisis with no public health system to speak of. And that, to me, is uh, emblematic of uh, an empire that I think is in the first throes of actually falling. Mm -hmm. Empires fall. Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. this one Mm -hmm. is going to fall one day. I hope so. This may be a slow motion collapse, but all empires fall, and usually they crumble from within. I think that's what we're seeing here. Um, and uh, I and it, it, it bears repeating, underscoring, that those who have the least will suffer the most. 
We're seeing that in Massachusetts right now in a city called Chelsea. Chelsea is a, a tough little town right across the Tobin Bridge from Boston. Uh, it is a gateway city. It is a city of immigrants. It always has been. I worked there as a tenant lawyer a number of years ago uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, which coincided with the, uh, the wars in Central America. And so many of the immigrants uh, coming to Chelsea at that time, many of my clients um, as a tenant lawyer were in fact coming from war-torn countries, were coming from El Salvador, uh, were coming from Guatemala, uh, along with the people who already lived there and had uh, come from Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic. It is a majority Latinx city. It is an immigrant city, even today. And it is far and away the city most deeply impacted by COVID-19 in the state of Massachusetts. There is a terrific crisis going on there that until very recently had been neglected by the governor and the media in the state. Not a coincidence. Uh, Springfield's hit pretty badly too. That's where my students are. Yeah, yeah. The the Yusian dream, the American dream, I, I think it's being pointed out as, as I think you're pointing it. It is a dream. It's not reality. Um, and we, we are, in fact, a third world country. It bore out yesterday when I couldn't find anybody to do my teeth. Um, in New York City. In New York City, in the middle of, you know, one of the most civilized metropolises in the world. I couldn't. I had a hard time finding a dentist. In fact, the dentist I went to didn't know that other dentists were open. I had to kind of inform her, you know, serendipitously that I knew there was another dentist open. Are you okay now? Uh, I'm getting okay. I had a, a tooth, uh, a couple of teeth removed, so it's kind of raw. <laughs> well, and we may go back to pulling them ourselves the way we used to. Yeah. You don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't know. She she might. There might be. You know, I really appreciate, though, what you're saying, Martine. I've been thinking about it a lot, about this um, crisis and who's being impacted the most by it. And it certainly is the poor folks. And, you know, everyone applauds the nurses and, and doctors and um, health workers. And, of course, we should. But there's people that are just trying to get food on our table in every part of this country. And they're suffering you know, in the factories and the, and their, and their health has been neglected completely. And it just breaks my heart. Another interesting thing that I haven't heard from any of the major media, friend and I were emailing this morning about it. Of the eight countries that have done really well in this coronavirus, six of them are led by women, Finland, Iceland, New Zealand, Taiwan. uh, I I don't remember the other two. Germany. Germany and um, and one more, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're, they're, Vietnam is led by a man and they're doing very well, and I don't remember the other one either. Yep. But six of the eight that are doing the best jobs are led by women. Norway, that's which I think brings me to the question that I've been thinking of, and I'd like to hear you know Chris and Lauren and, and Martine's answer to that, and and that is. Um, you know, sometimes you go through hard times and you learn, you grow, you become better. The bone broken and then it gets stronger after it's healing. Is is? But I'm sensing in a real kind of negative way, this is not going to make us better. That it might be just destroying us, as you say, the end of the empire. Well, it could make us better. If we, we wake up. We know that it could. But, yeah, but will it? Don't know. No, what's happening is we're, we're seeing the fault lines. We're, we're seeing this nation as, as it really is. And if there were any doubt about that, it should have been dispelled in the last few days with a, a wave of right-wing demonstrations across the country demanding an end to uh, stay-at-home orders and shelter-in-place, demanding a return to uh, the way things were regardless of who gets sick, regardless of who dies. Um, and we see the right-wing uh, pundits, uh, Rush Limbaugh has jumped into the fray, unsurprisingly. And they're being led, of course, by the demagogue in chief. Um, you know, this is a catastrophe uh, for public health in this country. 
And it is uh, absolutely indicative of the fact that things uh, are, are not changing for the better. Um, you know, we're, we, this is, we're still in, enmeshed in this civil war. Uh, maybe not a, a civil war of the kind my friend Mazen endured, but a civil war no, nevertheless. So what do we do as writers? Well, we, we try to respond, and there are different ways to respond. It doesn't have to be a poem about what happened yesterday. And maybe, maybe you can do that. If you can do that, well, good for you. If you could write a good poem about what happened yesterday, better still. I'm writing what I can write. I speak uh, to uh, the, the world that I know. I want to hear a love poem. <laughs> okay, I have to I hear- warn you, it's a political love poem. <laughs> a political love poem to Lauren? What isn't? <laughs> it's a political love poem, of course. It's uh, Well, you know, I should say... Everything's politics, so... Yeah, but some things are more political than others. Now, a little bit of background, not a whole lot. This is a poem that takes us back to a time when Lauren was working in Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, uh, Lauren was teaching, uh, uh, among other things, adult literacy at a community college in Patterson. And on her uh, day off, she would go and teach uh, at a place called Ava's Village, which is, I believe, was a... a a, a multi-service uh, residential substance abuse center uh, in Patterson. And so it served that clientele, uh, African-American and, and Latinx both. And, and this was the source of some uh, uh, mirth on my part. That's it, you know, because then when someone is teaching adult literacy all week and then on the day off they go to, to you know, the drug and alcohol rehab center to teach poetry. That to me, well, it puts us in sainthood territory. Uh, and that became the genesis of the poem. Um, but then it went other places, which is what poems should do further. Uh, after Lauren came uh, back one day and told me a story, and then that left again. It went to a place you might not expect. It went to, uh, it went to Chile. And, uh, and uh, somebody makes an appearance by the name of Victor Jara. Uh, and I can say more. I heard Chris, ga- Chris gasped. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love Victor Jara. Okay, well, and, and Chris knows. Don't know the six lines. Then. He knows the six lines. He knows the song that I'm, that I'm quoting from. The, the poem begins and ends at Ava's Village. And in between, it, it, it goes to Santiago de Chile and Victor Jara. And I'll read it now. Um, so this is a poem for these times and, and all times, I hope, that we will sing. I call you a saint, washing dishes at the soup kitchen, tutoring men who cannot write their own names, teaching poetry to the addicts. And I imagine Saint Sebastian, female, and voluptuous this time, no arrows this time, white robe slipping to her waist, writhing in ecstasy at the touch of an invisible hand, green eyes cast heavenward, though we know there is no God in Patterson. Yet in poetry class today, you gave the addicts a poem and they sang the poem back to you, lift every voice and sing. And so they did, even the man with one arm. And so their voices became human again, not the bullying of wolves to be shot on sight by police after sundown, but church voices, school voices, voices before the needle flooded their bodies and drowned all the songs, all the poems they knew. I imagine Victor Jara rousing the crowd in Santiago de Chile to sing the last verse of his peasant's prayer. Levántate y mírate las manos. Rise up and look at your hands. How the crowd sang the song from memory back to the singer. Even the words he sang as if he could foresee the coup. The officer's revolver in his ear. 
ahora y en la hora de nuestra muerte, now and in the hour of our death. Amen. Afterwards, the addicts in a circle of folding chairs rose for you. Speaking of God and Patterson to their teacher, the heretic, reaching for your hands as if they could take the spirit in your skin back to the shelter where they sleep tonight, touching you the way I touch you sometimes, not in lust, but in astonishment, telling myself I did not imagine you, that you are here, that we will sing. Oh man, I'm really glad we didn't have a camera on my computer because I am weeping. Because I know Lauren, and that is so, and I know Victor Hara, and I know what happened in Chile. Does everybody know what happened to Victor Hara in Chile? No, no. What, why don't you tell us? Well, Victor Hara was um, many things. He was a theater director, he was uh, uh, a singer, a songwriter, a guitarist. Um, an activist, uh, and he was uh, one of the leaders of La Nueva Canción, the new song movement in Chile. He was a supporter of Salvador Allende. Uh, when uh, Dr. Allende was elected president of Chile uh, as a, a socialist in 1970, um, the theme song for the popular unity uh, movement Uh, that Electa Allende was Venceremos, one of uh, a song that Victor Jara uh, would sing everywhere he went. Uh, there was another song that he was famous for. Uh, it's a song called uh, Plegaria a un Labrador, or uh, a Prayer to a Peasant is the way I would translate it. Um, and uh, in 1969, that song um, won first prize at the uh, uh, New Song Festival uh, in Santiago at a, a newly opened uh, venue called Estadio Chile. Um, so Victor won first prize for that song. Uh, he campaigned for Allende, Allende was elected. And then uh, most of us know what happened next. Uh, the United States through the CIA and, and other economic forces and political forces destabilized Chile. There was a coup on September the 11th, 1973. Uh, Allende died that day at La Moneda, the National Palace. Uh, and for years, uh, no one knew exactly what happened to Victor Jara. Uh, we all knew that Victor Jara was murdered. Uh, we all knew that he was murdered, ironically enough, at Estadio Chile. Uh, where uh, uh, only four years earlier he had won first prize for this very song. Um, there were all sorts of rumors and myths and legends. And then about 10 years ago, the story began to emerge more clearly because the people responsible for that killing um, were identified and, and others who were present uh, and were complicit began to come forward. And uh, the story that emerged finally, and which is reflected in the revisions that I made uh, to that stanza, uh, was this, that uh, a lieutenant by the name of Pedro Barrientos Nunez um, uh, took charge of, of Victor Jara's uh, imprisonment with thousands of other people at Estadio Chile. This is not the larger stadium, by the way, that people always get it confused with. This is a smaller facility that held about 5,000 people. Um, and he was one. He had been identified. He had been arrested. He had been tortured. And, and now uh, he was in the charge of uh, this lieutenant who decided it would be a good idea to play a game of Russian roulette mm. with Victor Jara. And he spun the chamber and he spun the chamber. And then he fired a bullet into Victor Jara's head. Um, afterwards, immediately, he ordered the conscripts around him to finish the job by firing their machine guns into the body lying on the floor. They did so 44 times. And then uh, they, they got rid of the body. The body was subsequently discovered, taken to a morgue, 
where his widow Joan Jara identified the body and, uh, and the body of Victor Jara was subsequently buried. Uh, Joan Jara then went into exile um, and um, uh, she was English, so she went to England and she was uh, uh, sheltered by a friend of mine by the name of Adrian Mitchell, poet and, and uh, did many other things too. And eventually when democracy returned to Chile, I went uh, there for the uh, centennial, the Neruda centennial. And it so happened that uh, the, thanks to the uh, efforts of a documentary film crew, I was able to meet with Joan Jara at Estadio Chile, the very place where her husband had been murdered, which had recently been renamed Estadio Victor Jara. Wow. Um, Joan Jara is still alive. She is the director of the Fundación Victor Jara. And for years and years, she has campaigned to uh, find out the truth and to hold uh, people responsible, those who, those who are responsible, uh, uh, accountable for what they did. Well, Pedro Barrientos Nunez is still alive. He lives in Orlando, Florida. Um, beyond the reach of uh, the Chilean authorities who would seek to bring him to justice. But um, he was uh, found liable in a civil trial in Orlando for the murder of Victor Jara. And one of my professors and mentors at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Steve Stern, testified at that trial as an expert witness on what had happened in Chile uh, during and after the coup. So this guy is still out there. But at least we know now who did it and why. I, I mean, Becky and I didn't know that story. And uh, the poem certainly stands on its own. You don't need to know that story for the synthesis of you, what you brought together here in this poem. Yeah. And I, I'd like to hear it again. I'm, I'm looking forward to the publication. Of course, I've got the recording, so I can hear you read it to me again. Strange thing is, number one, that all that informs those six lines. Yeah. But it's also important to note that this is a love poem. It is love that. poem for Lauren. Very it's nice. a love poem that 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 speaks to the the eternal qualities of of song, uh, to the eternal qualities of of commitment, um, to the the eternal qualities of the ephemeral, the the, the, the political, but also the spiritual. Uh, in, involved there. You know, there are all kinds of echoes in the poems. My poems have been echoing a lot. Lauren has actually pointed this out to me. There's all these loops and echoes. And, you know, uh, in the first stanza, we have St. Sebastian. And by the time we get to the third stanza, we're looking at uh, Victor Jara, kind of a secular saint, a martyr, uh, a singer. And then we, 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 we would go you know, we have the song, lift every voice and sing, uh, bouncing, echoing with the, the plegare al labrador, you know, the, 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 the peasant's prayer. And then it all resolves in song at the end that, that, that we will sing, that we will sing together in, in the broadest possible sense, you know. Can I say there's another resonance that's going on because I can't help but make connections to what's going on now. And this idea of all singing together uh, is something that we have to do if we're going to survive this uh, COVID-19. Um, and we have to do it as brothers and not as the others and me against you, which uh, seems to be um, something that's resonating with our conservative brethren. Um, that we're really not together, we're, we're each hunkered down alone. Your poem seems to say something else. We're in dire straits, but we're in it together. Well, imagine, you know, um, we are in dire straits. No question about that, and there's no point in minimizing it whatsoever. Um, and yet, look at the people who walk through that poem. You look at the, that poem is also about Patterson. 
It's about people trying to save their own lives. People who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, substance abuse. It's about someone who is helping them to save their own lives, who's opening doors for them with poetry and with song. That's Lauren. Those people are in dire straits, too. In even more dire straits than most of us right now. So I, I think of them and I think of the fact that not only are they in this poem struggling to survive, someone steps forward and says, here, here's a poem, here, here's a song. This will help you survive. This will help you heal. This will help us heal. That's what Lauren's doing there. And, and that's why the poem ends on the note that it does. It's, um, you know, and they, and they speak in the language of God. She doesn't speak in the language of God. She's the heretic, the same way Victor Jara was the heretic. Um, and there was Victor Jara at, in Chile in a far worse situation than the situation in which we find ourselves. And what did he do towards the end of his life when he knew what was going to happen to him? He sang. He sang. Lauren, you, what is your reaction to, to Martine's poem? Well, remember that the first, the first version is not the version that you just heard. And so um, in the first version, it was read for my 35th birthday. Mm -hmm. It was uh, for my third, it's a birthday present for my 35th. Um, and, you know, part of me was like, hey, you stole my story. That was my story. But, um, you know, the much bigger part of me is is touched that he's capturing a truth about me that I don't think people would necessarily know or assume about me. Um, and his poetry does that a lot when he when he writes about me. And I'm always I'm always honored and touched by that. It's it's a real honor to be um, brought to the page in that way. And I those are the ways that I like to see myself. Those are the ways that I feel. Um, are the truest things about me, and he captures them in his poetry beautifully. Um, so I'm always, I'm always touched. You know, you. The last time we were together, you all asked us to read one poem of the other person's, and I chose to read another poem that he wrote about me, um, about getting my concussion on the way to work from slipping on the ice. So it's, it's those moments where I feel like this is why he's the love of my life. This is why he's my husband. He sees exactly who I am every day, and these poems are a way of him. Um, celebrating that. Uh, you are writing your own story be very beautifully. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we're, we're every, every night at 7 o'clock here in the city, um, people um, put their hands and, and, and pots out the window, and they start banging and cheering uh, the nurses and the doctors and all those people that are, uh, in the emergency people that are saving our lives medically in this in this moment because that's when they go on their shift and i uh, also clap for the people in the factories and the you know yeah but I, what, I, what i want to say is that yeah we we do have these people that are saving our lives now but at some point we're going to need poems um to and kind we of need them take, now. and we need them now too but we, we need to continue to become our better selves um uh, all, all of us and um the, the, the poets and the songs, song makers and the musicians and the actors who say lines written by the poets, um, they're, they're as, as important, maybe even more important. Because um, what is life without poetry? Well, yes. And, and of course, we not only have to write what is, but what, uh, what could be. Mm -hmm. um, especially if we... Uh, we uh, live by certain principles or aspire to live by those principles. Um, I know that uh, Lauren was going to read a poem uh, by March Piercy that I think speaks directly to this, the, the whole idea of, uh, of the art of living. And, and uh, she's got it right there. Right? Well, why, Do you have time why, for it? Why, of course. We, oh, yes. Why, of why, course. Don't we, why don't we end the show on this? Is, uh, is there anything you'd like to say, Chris, to uh, Martina Lauren before we finish up? I know you guys are great friends. Uh, just, just that I am so happy for you guys that you have each other, particularly during this time, because I've, I know you both, and you couldn't have a 
you couldn't do better. You just couldn't do better. Well, Thanks, I, I know I couldn't do better. Carry <laughs> down on me. We'll see. <laughs> okay, we're, we're going to turn down our mics now and we're going to listen to Lauren. The Art of Blessing the Day by Marge Piercy. This is the blessing for rain after drought. Come down, wash the air so it shimmers, a perfumed shawl of lavender chiffon. Let the parched leaves suckle and swell. Enter my skin, wash me for the little chrysalis of sleep rocked in your plashing. In the morning, the world is peeled to shining. This is the blessing for sun after long rain. Now everything shakes itself free and rises. The trees are bright as pushcart ices. Every last lily opens its satin thighs. The bees dance and roll in pollen, and the cardinal at the top of the pine sings at full throttle, fountaining. This is the blessing for a ripe peach. This is luck made round. Frost can nip the blossom, kill the bee. It can drop a hard, green, useless nut. Brown fungus and burrowing worm that coils and rot can blemish it and wind crush it on the ground. Yet this peach fills my mouth with juicy sun. This is the blessing for the first garden tomato. Those green boxes of tasteless acid, the store sells in January. Those red things with the savor of wet chalk, they mock your fragrant name. How fat and sweet you are weighing down my palm, warm as the flank of a cow in the sun. You are the savor of summer in a thin red skin. This is the blessing for a political victory. Although I shall not forget that things work in increments and epicycles and sometimes leaps that half time fall back down. Let's not relinquish dancing while the music fits into our hips and bounces our heels. We must never forget pleasure is real as pain. The blessing for the return of a favorite cat. The blessing for love returned, for friends returned, for money received unexpected. The blessing for the rising of the bread, the sun, the oppressed. I am not sentimental about old men bumbling the Hebrew by rote with no more feeling than one saying Gesundheit. But the discipline of blessings is to taste each moment, the bitter, the sour, the sweet, and the salty, and be glad for what does not hurt. The art is in compressing attention to each little and big blossom of the tree of life, to let the tongue sing each fruit, its savor, its aroma, and its use. Attention is love. What we must give children, mothers, fathers, pets, our friends, the news, the woes of others. What we want to change, we curse, and then we pick up a tool. Bless whatever you can with eyes and hand and tongue. And if you can't bless it, get ready to make it new. That's a beauty. Beautiful. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say amen, even even though. And your reading was wonderful. That was wonderful. The, the old men who just say the Hebrew and wrote. It's one reason I don't always go back to the synagogue. It's just uh, because it's. Though I, I love the sound, so maybe just the sound of the voice of the old men. So thank you. Thank, thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us. There's two, two, two lovely poems. Uh, I, I Just one last question, Martine, and that is, are those ashes going to get put in place, and when? Yeah, well, I hope so. Uh, you know, the... Uh, the conference was rescheduled for November. Mm-hmm. We'll see if we are uh, uh, we are able to uh, fly uh, or uh, or do anything else come November. I'm not taking anything for granted. Uh, but even if that doesn't happen, eventually one day those ashes will return. Because I not only made a promise, I made a promise in a poem. Now I'm really in trouble. Right. <laughs> as deep as a prayer, a poem. Thank you very much, um, uh, Lauren Schmidt and um, Martina Spada and Chris Brandt for joining us for this hunker down. All four of you, it's so great to see your faces. Yeah, we wish we could see yours. Yes. Yeah, I want to see how long your beard has grown. <laughs> I keep I keep shaving mine, so uh, 
I'm not brave like Martinez and just let it go. Just... I've been thinking of shaving my whole head, actually. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't you dare. I always want to do that. My sweetheart. Well, my you. beard is not brave, merely irresponsible. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a poem right there. Thank you very much. It's great talking with you, as always. Um, and, I, you know, hopefully we'll talk again soon. And good luck on the, on the house. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Right. Great. Good luck with everything else. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Good luck with online teaching. Thank yes. you. And hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, the next time we'll kind of get together and have a drink. You know, I long for being at a bar. <laughs> you know? I'm afraid that's going to be the You've been listening to the Hunker Down Podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, please contact us at UpperWestSideRadio at gmail.com. That's one word, UpperWestSideRadio at gmail.com.